Happy Mother's Day. I hope that wherever you are, even if you're separated from your friends and family right now, I hope that you're connected by love and by the Spirit of our Lord. Like the rest of you, we at our house have been watching a lot of movies lately. If you have kids or grandkids, you are probably aware of the fact that over the last several years, superhero movies have been really big. Captain America, Batman, Superman, The Avengers, The Amazing Spider-Man, The X-Men, and lots of others. Of course, as a family, we love those superhero movies. When Bo was little, he would often ask me, Dad, who's your favorite superhero? And I would tell him Batman or Iron Man or, or just whoever was my favorite at the time. But then he would ask me, well, who's your favorite real-life superhero? And I would always say that my favorite real-life superhero is mommy, especially if Morgan was within earshot. Now, superheroes always show up in a crisis, and this crisis is producing some real-life superheroes. Nurses, doctors, teachers, grocery store clerks, pharmacists, and especially super moms. This Mother's Day is unlike any other most of us have ever experienced. The COVID-19 pandemic has put tremendous strain on families, and especially on mothers. In addition to their day-to-day -day career work, they've had to become home health providers, homeschool teachers, recreation directors, mental health counselors, not to mention the everyday domestic duties of taking care of a family. But during this crisis, I've seen so many examples of grace under pressure. Women on our staff with young children and teenagers, others taking care of grandchildren at home, members of our congregation who are reaching out to one another. I think about families in our church who are fostering children like the Lindsays and the Bowdens. I also think about people at the other end of the spectrum who are not able to have as much direct contact, like my own mother, who is unfortunately right now separated from her own children and grandchildren. And of course, when I think about super moms, I think about Morgan, who's demonstrated superhuman levels of patience with me and with Bo. And I just thank God for all of these super women who are acting with so much courage and so much energy and so much ingenuity and so much grace under pressure. One of the things that I've noticed about the amazing women around us right now is that just when they think that they have nothing left to give, just when we think that they can't give any more, that they can't do any more, that they can't last any longer, they find more. They dig deep and God gives them more energy, more insight, more wisdom, more courage, and even more grace. And so today on Mother's Day, as we continue our study of the witnesses to the resurrection, we're going to turn our attention to a superwoman of the Bible, one of the first key witnesses of the resurrection. Her name is Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene is one of the New Testament's greatest superheroes, one of the New Testament's greatest testimonies to grace under pressure. So if you would please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. Would you read along with me? But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered these words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. And he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to continue our discussion about the witnesses to the resurrection. And any honest, in-depth discussion about the witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ would be absolutely unthinkable without paying significant attention to Mary Magdalene. So who was Mary Magdalene? Mary Magdalene was a Galilean woman, probably from the town of Magdala, which was a rough frontier fishing town on the west bank of the Sea of Galilee. Because Magdala was a, t a town with a bad reputation, by association it's often thought that Mary must also have had a bad reputation. And unfortunately she is often commonly but wrongly painted as a prostitute. There is, however, no scriptural evidence to support that, uh, that allegation. But she became a stalwart follower of Jesus Christ and was part of a small group of women who supported the earthly mission of Jesus financially and who provided for Jesus and the twelve out of their own finances, out of their own means. For most of the story, she remained in the background, that is, until that fateful Holy Week, when she became an eyewitness to the resurrection. Like the other witnesses to the resurrection, Mary's story begins with the traumatic crisis of the death of Jesus. She was there. At Golgotha, she saw him crucified. She heard the clanging hammer and the jeering spectators. She heard the condemnation of the holy men. She watched the callous soldiers roll dice for his clothes. And she felt the convulsions of Jesus' own sobbing mother, Mary. And she cried in her arms, watching her son die on the cross. She heard Christ's last words, and then she saw him die. Finally, when it was all over, she had seen him laid to rest in a borrowed tomb, the only mercy that he'd been shown on that horrible day. Mary felt all the pain experienced by the apostles, felt all the trauma experienced by the others. The big difference, though, was that she stayed with Jesus. She stayed with him the whole time, from the cross to the grave. And no one knew better than she that he was truly dead. That level of trauma should have crushed her. The world she knew had collapsed. The life she knew was over. But Luke says that on the first day of the week, at early dawn, she and others went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. 
Early on that morning, Mary and a few other women were stirring, rustling themselves awake. It would have been so easy for Mary and for the others just to roll over and go back to sleep, to give in to her exhaustion, especially that morning when the weight of his death was still so heavy. But she and the others had work to do. So gathering up their spices to anoint his body, they set off. They went to the tomb. They wouldn't think of letting him go without paying tribute, without one final touch. She made herself available to the Lord that morning to go and serve. And he gave her the energy to serve. And have you ever been so emotionally, physically, and spiritually exhausted that you just couldn't get out of bed? You didn't have the energy to rise? Our lives are so ridiculously busy and turned over right now. It's so easy to give in to the exhaustion of this crisis. And so we miss the gift of God's energy. And I pray that the Lord would give you the energy to get out of bed in the morning and to serve him. That he would give that to all of us. But it wasn't just an issue of energy. It was also an issue of courage. Why was Mary so loyal to Jesus in the first place? Well, if we dig a little deeper into Mary's story, we read that when Jesus found her, she was in the grip of demonic possession. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us that she was possessed by seven demons. I can't even begin to imagine the darkness and the pain of Mary's life. The Bible doesn't give us any details about Mary's own situation, but in other places in the New Testament, we read descriptions of other people plagued by demons throwing themselves into fires, raging against their neighbors, muttering blasphemies, broken, scared, violent, alone. I mean, she was literally in her own personal hell. And then Jesus set her free. She was no longer living in the dark night of terror, a slave to the lies and the abuse of the enemy. Jesus cast out all her darkness, and she was embraced and loved by the light of the Son of God. Because of what Jesus did for her, she was not going to give up on him, even though he was dead. At the moment of greatest danger, she went to the tomb because God gave Mary Magdalene her courage. Her loyalty to Jesus overrode her fear of arrest. She was not going to cut and run. And even though it was dangerous and even though it would be painful to see him, God had put in her a tenacity, a loyalty that would not let her let him go. Even though he was dead, her gratitude drove her to the tomb to serve him and honor him one last time. Instead of running away from Jesus, even the dead Jesus, she held on. That's grace because it defies every human instinct. While the disciples ran and hid, she doubled down. You know, it would be so easy to give in to fear in this crisis. And like Mary, I just pray that the Lord will give us the courage that you and I need right now. When Mary and the others got to the tomb, they found the stone rolled away and discovered that the body of Jesus was missing. The Bible says that while they were perplexed about this, which is a gentle way of saying that they were completely freaked out, they were met by two men in dazzling white clothes. And the men said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day 
and rise? I mean, here were Mary and her companions looking for Jesus, but they were looking for him in the wrong place. How many times have you and I looked for life in places where there's only death, for fullness where there's only emptiness, for substance where there's only smoke? I mean, I've peered into so many tombs of fame and wealth. I've stepped into caverns where the powerful and the popular preside. I've carried my offerings to the pleasures of this world, looking for life and joy. And then I hear that whisper that cuts with the, like at the tip of a sword, slices through the noise, that asks me, why are you looking for life here? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Look for Jesus. Look where life can be found. These two heavenly beings that met Mary and the others at the tomb remind me of the importance of good teachers and leaders, circle teachers, small group leaders, Sunday school teachers. They remind me of those teachers because they did two things. They told Mary and the others that they were looking for Jesus in the wrong place. And they told them to turn around and turn back to his word. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. If we're going to grow as God's witnesses, we need teachers and leaders who will challenge us when we are looking for love in all the wrong places. We need people who are going to put us on the path to God's word. And so it's so important for us to have credible, godly, competent teachers who know the Bible, who know the world, and who know the difference. The truth is, we all need wisdom right now. And as we seek Christ and as we make decisions, I pray that the Lord will put teachers and leaders in our lives who will lead us to greater wisdom, who will challenge us when we are looking for life in all the wrong places, and who will turn us back to God's truth and his promises. Luke Luke then says, and they remembered his words. I love it here that the word remember is more than just an idea for recalling in the intellectual sense. Like one might remember business statistics or sports statistics or a recipe. This is a deep sentimental memory. The memory of conviction. Not just a mind memory, but a heart memory. These are not just memories that inform the mind, but that shape the will. This is not just about information, it's about transformation. Think about the memories that shape you. The memories of conversations, the memories of people, the memories of events, the stories and the memories that when they come forward make you feel something deep, that take you back to that moment of pain or joy, of despair or victory, that make your heart pound or that make your heart flutter. Here's why this is so important. The call to remember is a reminder that our God can and will keep his promises. Faith is believing that our God is the God who does what he says and will do what he promises that he can do. And that we must be willing to bet our lives on it. You know, which of God's promises have you forgotten? Which of his promises have you compromised or his words have you set aside? We have to remember, because in the remembering, we know where to find Jesus. 
The resurrection is the proof that God keeps his promises. And I pray that amidst the craziness of this crisis, God will keep his promises and his truth in front of our minds and our eyes and that he will shape our hearts and our will by his word. In this story, the Lord gives Mary and the women that memory, but he also gives them purpose. For years, Mary had been a part of the group, but as a woman, she had been relegated to a supporting role. She and the others had been in the background, rarely visible, present, but yielding the spotlight to Peter and to James and to John and to Judas and to all the other men. But now, Jesus was giving her and the other women a new purpose to take point and be the first witnesses of the resurrection. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. A witness is somebody who sees something, who knows something, and who says something. Mary and the other women became witnesses because they saw the empty tomb. They remembered his promise and they went and told the others. This is really where an observer becomes a witness. A witness is not a witness until he or she tells the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, we all love the idea of living our faith and proving our faith by example. That is an extraordinarily important. But all of our good deeds alone will not lead people to Jesus. We have to connect our deeds and our compassion to the gospel message. As my friend Dr. David Singh used to say, the church has to relearn the art of speaking Jesus. Our job as witnesses is not to convince people that we are nice or that we are generous people. It is to direct them toward the way and the truth and the life in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The job of witness is not an easy one. And to fulfill her purpose, first, Mary needed a team. You know, Mary was not alone. She had sisters. And this really penetrates the whole story because this story is not just about Mary Magdalene. It's also about Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women. Mary was not alone. They went to the tomb together. They were looking for him together. They went and told together. Mary knew how important it was to go together. You know, there's an old expression that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Even after the death of Jesus, Mary understood the value of the community that Christ had created, the importance of the friendships and the sisterhood in which she lived. But she not only knew it, she also felt it. One of the devil's most potent weapons, a blade that had cut Mary in her own life before, was isolation. Because the enemy loves to separate us from the herd and make us believe that we are alone. It's a tool that he's using with terrifying effect during this crisis. When Jesus first found Mary, he liberated her from seven demons. Think about that for a moment. She was isolated and outnumbered seven to one. She was probably exploited, abused, shunned, and beaten. People were afraid of her. No one trusted her or wanted to be near her. But then Jesus came into her life. And because of what he did, now she not only had her Lord, but she had numerous friends who would pray for her, hold her up, encourage her, hold her accountable, love her, notice her, and walk this journey with her. 
You know, one of the things I love is that women are so good about mutual encouragement and accountability. Whether it's in our women of the church circles or in our if groups, women understand the importance of community. So many women and young girls have also known the cruelty of isolation as well. It happens when people are shunned or left out or pushed out or marginalized or exiled from the group. We all know the damage that can be done in those situations. And so it's up to Christian women of all ages to make sure that we do not play into the politics and habits that lead one little girl or one woman to believe that she's an outcast or a pariah, that she's isolated or preyed upon. That's a situation that's ripe for abuse or depression or all kinds of self-harm. You know, I think about Poor Mary Magdalene, surrounded and harassed constantly by these demons, like an unyielding, shrieking group of bullies or mean girls constantly telling her that she was worthless or that she was broken or ugly or strange or unpopular, that she was unloved, that she was dirty or different, that she could never be forgiven, that she didn't matter, or that she had no place and no love. But then Jesus replaced those demons with sisters who loved her, encouraged her, who taught her and included her. And these women really needed one another because when they got back to the disciples and told them what they had seen and what had happened, the disciples didn't even believe them. When Mary and the others told the disciples what had happened, Luke says that they said that these words seemed to them as an idle tale. And they didn't believe them. Sometimes one of the hardest parts of being a witness is that people don't believe you. To be a witness is to stick your neck out for the truth. Being a witness has a cost. It can cost us socially. It can cost us financially. It can cost us politically. In many places, it can lead to all types of persecution. It can cost someone her life or her freedom. But to be a witness in the face of ridicule or persecution also has power. When we share the story of Jesus in spite of our persecution, in spite of the ridicule, people begin to take it seriously. Because holding forth the love and truth of Jesus Christ in the face of injustice or poverty or pressure connects us to the cross. When we hold forth In truth and conviction, in spite of persecution, it gets people's attention. When we lift up the cross of Christ in our courage, people see his compassion and the Lord is glorified. I pray that you have a team, that you know your team and you feel your team and you love your team right now. Mary wasn't alone. She had her sisters, but she also had Jesus. For Mary, the resurrection of Jesus was not just a miraculous event. It was personal. The Apostle John knew Jesus and he knew Mary personally. And so it shouldn't be surprising that in his version of the story, he included a very personal detail. When Mary discovered that the tomb was empty, at first she was scared and confused. She thought that someone had stolen his body and she was running away from the tomb. And as she was running away, she ran into someone, someone that she didn't expect to see in a million years. And she didn't even recognize him until she she heard him call her name. Jesus said to her, 
Mary. Up until that point, she didn't know what to believe until he heard Jesus call her name. And then she knew that it was all true. She saw him because he saw her first. For Mary, the resurrection was not just an unexpected, miraculous event. It was a real and personal encounter with the risen Lord. And so her witness was not just a report. It was a testimony. You see, a report becomes a testimony when it becomes personal. The heart of our witness is the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That God has proven his love for us by giving the life of his son. And he has proven his power to make a difference in our lives now and forever by raising him from the dead. But those are just facts until we know that he did it for us. Not just for people way back then and not just for everybody else, but for you and for me. You see, Mary had a team, but she also had a personal testimony. Mary didn't have to know anything except that she had seen the Lord. She didn't need any authority beyond hearing him call her by name. She didn't need any power beyond the power of her own voice. And she didn't need any story other than her own story of what Jesus Christ has done for us and for her. He is what we need. And he is enough. Jesus gave her her own story. Mary Magdalene was a witness in the simplest sense of the definition that I've been offering. She saw something. She knew something. And then she said something. You know, I've come to love this story of Mary Magdalene because it's a powerful story about God's gift of grace under enormous pressure. Something with which we are all familiar right now. Today, I pray that our Lord would make us witnesses like these women. That he would give us the energy to get up early in the morning with a desire to serve him. The courage to trust him in spite of the fear all around us. That he will give us the teachers and leaders who will challenge us to stop looking for love and life in all the wrong places. To stop looking for love and life among the dead and to remember God's word and believe his promises. I pray that he will surround you with people who will encourage you, hold you accountable, laugh with you, cry with you, walk with you, and pray with you. But most of all, I pray that you will hear the Lord call you by name and that he will give you your own story to tell and that you will tell it to somebody today. That is the gift of being a witness. Will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, precious Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, you gave to Mary, the energy, the courage, the wisdom, the teachers, the leaders, the truth, the team, and the testimony, the personal testimony that she needed to be a witness. And you made her a witness. And because she told her story, and because those women told their stories, you have made them heroes, superheroes, not only of this story, but of all history. Lord, in this crisis, I pray that you would make us witnesses. I pray that you would give us 
a team and a testimony, that you would give us energy, that you would give us courage, that you would give us wisdom, and that you would give us our own story to tell so that we may tell everyone of your truth, your love, and your power to make a difference in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thank you for being with us today, especially on this Mother's Day. This crisis has made everything a little bit different, but our moms, our super moms, have really made this crisis not only bearable, but a time of tremendous growth. So make sure that today you reach out to your mothers, your grandmothers, your aunts, your, your friends, your sisters, your daughters. Reach out to those special super women in your life who are helping to make this an important time not only for our families, but for our whole country and for our whole world. Remember all of those ladies who have taught us what it means to love Jesus Christ, to love one another, and to love our city by loving the neighborhood and the nations. And now, go forth into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no person, evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine full upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.